Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour, the show where we chronicle some of the most creative minds of our time. And this guest is no exception. Hugh Prestwood is a great songwriter. He's also a recording artist in his own right. I think he has a very unique voice. I like hearing him sing. I hope one day to interview him in person so he can maybe perform a few songs for you all. He writes primarily in the country music genre. A lot of his songs have been recorded by country artists, but you could describe his work as kind of folk Americana, something like that. His first hit song was Hard Time for Lovers, and that was recorded by Judy Collins. He's had a lot of major recording artists who have cut his songs throughout the years. Just to name a few, Trisha Yearwood, she has cut quite a few Hugh Prestwood songs. James Taylor, Alison Krauss, Michael Johnson, Don Williams, Jimmy Buffett cut one of his songs, Savannah Fare You Well, on the Far Side of the World album. Very unique, very interesting song. It was nice to have Hugh Prestwood do an interview here on the Paul Leslie Hour. I think you're going to enjoy his story. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Hugh Prestwood is a songwriter. Many of his songs have been recorded by the likes of Crystal Gale, Randy Travis, Trisha Yearwood, Michael Johnson, Don Williams, James Taylor. I could go on and on. Hugh Prestwood has also recorded his own albums. He's an inductee of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. It's a great pleasure to welcome him here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's an honor. Has the reason that you write songs changed through the years? No, really it hasn't. I just uh, very, you know, it's when I began writing songs, you know, which was really in uh, around the age of 26 or so, I'd, I'd been a musician uh, for since I was about 10, but I didn't start writing songs until I was about 26 or 7. And I just really, I don't know, I just really uh, thought, I don't know, I got a great, you know, being creative, really, I really got off on it. I just uh, felt like I got a response from people on my songs, and something about it to me was very gratifying. And that's the same reason I write songs today. Is this something you do every day? I, one way or another, I, I do something every day. Uh, I may be working on a song, or I may be uh, working. You know, I do my own demos on my songs. So I, uh, you know, I may be working on a demo, or I, be, I may be working on a song. But when I have what I call a normal day, meaning you know, I don't have to go to the doctor or uh, be somewhere, you know, I usually like to get up and. Uh, you know, work on my music sound. I really enjoy it. What does it feel like to write a song? Just feels, uh, <laughs> well, my wife always says, I'm happiest when I'm writing a song I'm excited about. And, and I just get into it. Something about, you know, ever since, you know, I guess I was little, something about the right music really uh, got me excited, really turned me on. And so, uh, you know, when I sit down to write a song, the you know, my idea is instead of waiting for someone else to write some song that really gets me excited, I want to do that myself, so I won't have to wait. 
I just it's uh, just something I like to do. I think you know I always uh, often think of myself like a painter. I think painters just like to paint, and they don't think about retiring, and they don't really think necessarily about how much they're going to sell their paintings for. They just they just really enjoy, enjoy the creative process. I've always advised uh, aspiring songwriters that. You know, if you're not really getting off on the process of writing a song, you're not going to be able to keep going. You know, if your if your objective is just to have a hit or to make money, you know, you're not going to you're not going to keep going. You're saying it's an art that needs tenacity. Well, just you know, I don't know if t- tenacity is the word, but uh, you just gotta. To me, it's just something. It's a it's a labor of love. You know, I you know uh, I just love to do it. I love expressing myself, you know, musically and uh, lyrically. You know, I really get off on it. Like, you know, I always say for about, I have this honeymoon period when I write a song that I really think, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever written. I feel great. <laughs> you know, it may, la- it may last only a week or so, but sometimes longer. You know, as opposed to live performing, you know, uh, when I occasionally play out, you know, live as an artist, even on the best of nights where I, pl- I feel like I played really as good as I could play, you know, that feeling lasts about, you know, it's gone the next day. Was there an artist growing up that you loved the most? Uh, it's hard to say. I, 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 very early in my career, I, you know, I heard a lot of, you know, growing up, I heard a lot of my, I heard classical music a lot around the house. I heard a lot of uh, just typical American pop music of, of the 50s and into the 60s and I really got into Harry Belafonte, you know, and just uh, early folk music. I used to get uh, records from the Library of Congress that were these, you know, Alan Olmack's recordings, I guess, that he did out in the field. And uh, I don't know, just a lot. I always think that people who really love music, you know, here, they like a lot of different kinds. And I and I, I listened to a lot of country when I was growing up in El Paso. And uh, I listened to a lot of Mexican music, you know, that, that was on the radio. And I uh, just, you know, a lot of things. What songwriters do you admire the most? I, I was thinking the other day that, you know, in a funny way, I think the golden age, you know how they talk about the golden age of Hollywood. I think the golden age of uh, songwriting was into the, you know, into the late 60s and early 70s when you had Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and, you know, the Eagles and Jackson Brown. That whole period to me was, you know, that was to me the, the peak of the singer-songwriter uh, thing, that I have this theory that uh, people of that generation, which is my generation, we were coming off a period of, we, in other words, we were programmed by music that was very, uh, I think, structured and well-written. And I think as time went by and the, and the singer-songwriter thing came on, and then as subsequent generations began to sort of play off that, I feel like the, the really basic, good, solid, structure of songs began to be began to dissipate with some of the more modern writers i hear a lot of songs today that uh you know i i think well you know i can see why that's a hit but uh i just don't think that the really the structure of the, the real skeleton of the song is that strong hmm. we're talking with songwriter hugh prestwood i've seen it written in many places the word discovered when judy collins discovered your work were you looking to be discovered, or was it an accident? No, no, I was, no, no. I, I, uh, I grew up in El Paso. I started writing songs. I got enough response, sort of locally, that I began to think, well, maybe I had some talent. 
And I had a friend who was a close friend of mine in El Paso who ended up moving to New York City. I went up there and visited her and just kind of sense of the city, and I liked it up there. And as I was, you know, I, I was teaching school. I got out of college. I was teaching grade school. And as my 30th birthday was approaching, something in me you know, just decided, look, you know, i got to give this a try. You know, I can live with it if I don't get anywhere, but I'm not going to live with you know, when I'm old, I'm not going to be happy with myself if I didn't try to see if my songwriting could amount to something. So I, I literally just, you know, moved to New York and really with nothing going on except the intention of, um, you know, getting discovered. So I, And I began playing showcases anywhere I could. I knocked around the village uh, for two or three years. I, I was doing, I had my little tape recorder and I was recording my own little demos. And I was a huge fan of Judy Collins. One day, Tom Paxton... I did a showcase at the uh, bottom line, and Tom Paxton came up to me afterwards and was complimentary, and I asked him if he would send a tape to Judy Collins, and he did. Lo and behold, one day, you know, she called me up. And so that was my big break, you might say. What do you think about Judy Collins, not only as an artist, but as a person? Oh, I think she's great. We've been connected for a really long time. You know, it's funny, I have, there's certain artists that I have had hits with and everything that I feel like we become more chummy. Judy, Judy is a little more, uh, I don't know explain it. She's just, I guess I have her on a higher pedestal or something. So we, we, we've certainly been together many times, but we, we have never really hung out very much. But I, she's to me is just uh, this remarkable artist who re, also has a remarkable track record of uh, singing great songs. So I was extremely and I still am extremely honored that she likes my song. It's very cool, the company that you're in, in terms of Judy Collins. She was on this program, and she said, you know, I was the first person to record a Leonard Cohen song. And then, gosh, I'm forgetting now, but she, she mentioned another person. It's it's a, it's good company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really is. The, the first record I was on, you know, where she recorded my a uh, couple of my songs. The album was called Hard Times for Lovers, and that was one of my songs. But, you know, Randy Newman was on there. Uh, Don Haley was on, you know, on there. Uh, Alan, Marilyn Bergman were on there. And just, it was like, oh, my God. You know, oh, Stephen Townheim was on. You know, I was like, whoa, I'm in some company here. The first time that you were in New York, what was going through your head? A guy from El Paso, Texas. Well, I, I think I had just, I don't know, I, I, I can't explain it. I just, uh, I sort of burned my bridges, you might say, in El Paso, kind of messed up my marriage, just uh, was really uh, sort of dove into this pond, you know, not really knowing what I was going to do and but, and feeling extremely motivated, though. I, th- I think because I had not, you know, because I was so alone up there, and 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 I had no good reason to have left every on my whole life in El Paso unless I really accomplished something. You know, I, I feel like I was very motivated, and I just you know I worked every day. I felt like, what can I do to get something to happen? And you know, when I first went up there, you, you always think you're going to get discovered very quickly, and you also think you're at least I thought I was ready too. And, and it turned out I was not ready. Uh, I had a, you know I had a bit of growth uh, in my songwriting. When I moved to New York, I had written about 100 songs. 
when I look back now, there's only about two songs in there that I would dare play anybody. You know, most of the others I think pretty lousy. <laughs> but I just, you know, I was up there and I just felt like uh, I went up there, believe it or not, thinking to myself, if I could just stay up there a couple of months, and then I wouldn't, I could go back to El Paso and not feel like a complete idiot. And but just somehow I just kind of hung on. I, I got a little affirmation here and a little affirmation there once in a while, and and uh, you know, I often felt like you know I was not ready to give it up, and I just kind of kept hanging in there. You just said about your work. There's only a couple from that era that you would that you would dare play in public. So, should an artist be hard on his or her work, in your opinion? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny though. You you know, and I often say that the best way to be is uh, to have the, you might say mood swings. Because if you're too hard on yourself, I have a, I've I've known a couple of people over the years who I think were quite talented, but they were so hard on themselves that they pretty much, you know, just stopped themselves from writing. They were too critical. Then I've met some other people who were just not critical at all, and, and, and their songwriting never improved when it might have. So my feeling is, you know, I kind of go back and forth, and this is really true on every song I write. I start thinking, oh, my God, this is the greatest song ever written. Then, then, then the next day I think, you know, what was I thinking? This thing's horrible. And then I kind of get back into it, and I say, oh, this is something here. And then the next day, I think, well, I don't know. And I think, I often say that I finish my songs about 20 times. I keep thinking, well, okay, it's, that's, that's it. And then the next day, I get up and think, well, maybe it isn't that good. I think, you know, when you get into the major leagues in particular, you know, you start realizing that, you know, you've got to try to get it. You, every song I write, I try to get it as perfect as I can. A lot of writers, like in Nashville, they just kind of crank out a lot of songs you know, uh, I, I know guys that write, you know, several hundred songs in one year. You know, I, my total output for my whole career is around 450 songs. I'm very, I'm a very slow writer. I don't co-write. And I just, you know, I, I always think if I was a painter, I'd be like Vermeer, you know. I just kind of go over and over the songs trying to, you know, make them perfect. You know, some people can't work, you know, it's not like everybody should work that way. I think, you know, little by little you start realizing, you know, it's like you're in the major leagues here and I always compare it sometimes to a golfer. You know, you got a golfer who's shooting, uh, you know, the difference between the, the top pro golfers and some of the really great local golfers at your local club are just a few strokes, you know, and uh, it's that last, you know, 5% or whatever it is that really makes you, you know, a pro. We're talking with singer-songwriter Hugh Prestwood. You just mentioned that you don't co-write. Why? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, I, uh, you know, I often compare my, I, I sometimes think of myself as a painter, and I just don't want to have, I don't want to hand the brush to anyone else. I just want to do it myself. I've tried co-writing quite a few times over the years, you know, with some really good people and with some people that I'm really good friends with, so it's not a matter of, uh, you know, relaxing, you might say, but it, but I just don't enjoy it. I don't know how to explain it. I just, uh, I often, you know, I'll get together with someone once in a while. I used to, and, and really in about 45 minutes, I just wanted out of there. I, I just, I don't know how to explain it. I just want to do it myself, you know, and that's how I get off on it. As soon as you start, I found as soon as I start co-writing, some of the, I, you know, I could see the, uh, I could see the potential in an idea that was subtle, 
and that my co-writer, you know, was not recognizing, you know, so I, so I would, I'd be pulled back toward doing something more obvious. That happened to me a lot is that, uh, my co-writer would typically try to pull me back into some more formula kind of, uh, hit kind of place. And, you know, that's great for them, but I, I just did not enjoy doing it, you know? And, and, and then I think the last thing about my personality is that, uh, I don't really like to be watched when I'm doing anything. <laughs> hmm. Even mowing the lawn, I don't like to be scrutinized. So I just, uh, you know, having another person in the room, you know, I just, to me, it's not something I really uh, like. Given that so many of your songs have been recorded by country singers, is it hard to be a writer of country songs and not live in Nashville? Well, it is in a way. There are, there are a lot of advantages to living in Nashville really are. A lot of what happens in the music industry, and probably in any, uh, whether in acting or whatever, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with being in the right place at the right time. You know, I've heard many stories about, you know, some actor walking down uh, Sunset Boulevard, and he bumps into a friend, and the next thing you know that he's in a movie that the friend was casting. That So I think, and so I, think I miss that. But uh, on the other hand, because I'm such a, a slow writer, you know, I, I tend to write about 10 or 12 songs a year. What happens with me that usually works pretty good is that I can go down to Nashville and see a producer, and he knows that I'm not going to be back next week with another couple of songs. You know, he knows I'll probably be in, you know, six months from now or even a year from now with, with him playing a few things. So I, I feel like uh, that works to my benefit to get in to see people. Another thing that I found about Nashville, which I love Nashville, and the, right, the songwriting community down there is just filled with these amazing, delightful, you know, funny, creative people. But when I'm down there more than a few days, a couple of times in my career, I've been down there for a couple of weeks, and I start to feel this pressure to write a hit. You know, it's hard to explain, except that you're constantly hearing about, oh, so-and-so just got a cut on so-and-so, and he's had a second number one this year, and, 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 and I begin to feel like I need to hurry up. And uh, I don't like writing with that sort of pressure, so I like to go down to Nashville, get a big fix on, get some affirmation, maybe play uh, to Bluebird or something, come back and get away from the music business, and sit down to write a song, and, and, and with the attitude that I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to feel, you know, and, and that's a disadvantage. It, my songs have never been easy pitches, you might say. They're, my songs are really down the middle kind of country hits. But that's just, you know, that's just what I do. Is it possible that because of that, the fact that they're not, I guess you said easy down the middle, that that's why they're so good? Well, I think yeah, I think that's true. I, I think uh, that that's certainly why they're uh, different and why they're fresh. You know, I always say uh, the hardest if I can get a song cut and onto an album. Of course, back now the albums are sort of getting uh, passe. But I used to say that my, you know my songs really stand out because they are different. And you know, you these producers will sit around and play you know listen to dozens of songs and they're all kind of well done and they're all written by pro writers, and, and they're, they, but they all have a lot of sort of similar things to them. A lot of times not, not anything real fresh. And so, so I think my songs do stand out that way. On the other hand, you know, it's, the artists and the producers, they're taking more of a chance when they record a song of mine. That, uh, you know, the mentality 
for better or worse, the mentality uh, is is that every song most artists record, they want to think it might be a hit. That you know they they, in my experience, they rarely think about well, this is a great song, and I don't care if it's a hit or not. Most of them are thinking I want to have every you know, I want to have a hit. So, and then the other thing I noticed is that uh, a lot of people in Nashville, particularly in the lower rungs of the music business, who are like A and R people, they don't want to get near anything that doesn't sound like a hit already because you know because if they if you get if they get behind some kind of unusual song and it flops you know then they look bad but if they if they if they get behind a song that really sounded like a hit but wasn't a hit well they can always say well you know it sounded like a hit to me (laughs) i'm just thinking about how different their perspective is compared to how i consume music (laughs) i you know when i'm trying to find songs or when I, I open my mailbox and there's CDs from people who are, are wanting to be on the, their music on the air, I'm l- looking for which one of these songs is different. <laughs> who, yeah. who is the unique writer or the unique singer here? That's interesting. You know, I'll tell you a story. Uh, before Judy Collins discovered me, I had had one song recorded by Jackie DeShannon out in L.A., and Jim Ed Norman, who later became the president of uh, Warner Brothers in Nashville, he was producing out in uh, Los Angeles, and he did an album on Jackie DeShannon. And just through a strange kind of guy that I got connected with in New York City, he sent a copy of the song I wrote out to Jim Ed Norman. The song was called Dorothy. And the song is about a sort of uh, what happened to Dorothy when she got back from Oz. You know, and my idea was that once she got back to Kansas, it seemed pretty boring. <laughs> and uh, she kind of wished she could get back to it. But anyway, uh, long story short, when I, I talked to Jim Ed a few years later, he said that he was sitting around listening to a lot of the typical stuff, and all of a sudden this really unusual song came on, you know, about what happened to Dorothy, and, and it really struck him. And so, so that, in a funny way, uh, besides Tom Paxton, uh, Judy Collins had gotten wind of that Jackie the Shannon song and liked it. So, so when Tom Paxton, uh, I think I'm not sure exactly, but I think when he pr- approached her with my demo tape, she may have already been familiar with uh, the Jackie the Shannon cut. Interesting. We're talking with Hugh Prestwood, songwriter and singer and recording artist. One That's of your. Me. <laughs> One of your songs, which I definitely would say is a unique song, you sent it to me as a, a single CD. I still have it, and I still play it from time to time. Savannah, Fare You Well. Mm, right. Very, very interesting. And I like the mystery, at least from the listener's perspective, from my perspective. I like a song that makes you wonder, what's this song about? I could interpret it this way. I could interpret it that way. The first thing I thought about was, is Savannah a woman or is Savannah the place? Mm-hmm. So tell us about that song. Well, you know, the, in a funny way, that's that sort of ambiguity is something I sometimes like to do. Like I have a song called April Fool that Colin Ray recorded, and it's sort of the same kind of thing. Is, that, is April a girl or is it, is, is it the month? It was Savannah Fair You Well, you know, a lot of my songs just, I'm not sure where they're going when they start. I, I just kind of get usually a musical idea, 
and I began to just see where that music wants, you know, how does it speak to me? What does it, what does it say? A pretty common theme in my songs is leaving someplace, you know, for, for good or bad. I have, uh, I, I probably about every <laughs> eight or nine songs I write a song about, let's get the hell out of here, you know? Hmm. Uh, and uh, I think in a funny way, uh, so, you know, uh, Savannah taps into some of that. It taps into some of my, uh, there's a darkness to that song. Uh, you know, I, I certainly have had periods in my life that I, uh, you know, like pri- really prior to moving to New York, it was a pretty dark period where I was sort of uh, jettisoning my prior life. So I, I don't know, that, that song just kind of went where it went. Uh, you know, these images in it are all like uh, pretty dark. And when Jimmy Buffett recorded it, I couldn't believe it. Why is that? Why couldn't you believe it? Well, it just didn't, you know, it didn't sound to me like a, a Jimmy Buffett song. Uh, you know, it was just one of those things. I, you know, you think of him doing a really much more party songs and fun songs. and uh, But he does some serious stuff. And uh, I was, I'm friends with Russ Teitelman, who produced one of his records. And he, Russ played him the song, and they, and, and they decided to cut it. And I initially thought, oh, God, this is never going to work. You know, you know, I always say that songs are like when my wife is in a department store and she sees a dress that she thinks she likes. And then she won't really know whether that dress works until she goes in and tries it on. And, and to me, songs are like that. You have artists that, that like a song, but when they try it on, it doesn't suit them. And I, and I thought, uh, I had a feeling that, this Jimmy was going to feel like when they when they gave it a go that you know it wasn't his thing didn't suit him, but Russ Tileman cut a great cut on the thing. I was I was I love that cut he did on it. Was Savannah the place or a woman? You know it's funny. I think it's more the woman, and I, I had no idea that Jimmy's daughter was named Savannah at the time. But uh, that probably worked in my favor too. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. I can recall one time that I was down in Key West, Florida, and I was interviewing the great Jerry Jeff Walker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a couple people told me, they said, oh, he's this cantankerous guy, you know. <laughs> and I was a little nervous to meet him. And mm-hmm. he was gruff, but in a in a warm way. I know that, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds like that doesn't make sense, but... Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's a good description. Yeah, he's gruff in a warm way. And after the interview, I thought he's going to want to skedaddle and get out of there. But he sat and talked for a while, and I still have a a very... I can see this, like, clearly. After the interview, we were talking about different songs, and he sang to me a cappella. He was just fooling around, and he started to sing The Moon is still over oh, yeah. her shoulder, which he recorded. Right. Yeah. That's a, that was, I, I love Jerry Jeff Walker, so that was really... I thought that was great. My son was just down in... Uh, my son lives in Fort Worth, and they were at Billy Bob's down there, and Jerry Jeff Walker was playing there. And this was, just a, I think, within the last year. And uh, my son said they were sitting there talking and you know, kind of listening to Jerry Jeff, and all of a sudden he started singing "The Moon Still Over His Shoulder," and they were they were thrilled. So he's still doing it once in a while, anyway. Yeah, he told me he likes that song a lot. What inspired it? You know, believe it or not, 
the uh, you know the opening lines say you know she's fixed in his mind like the picture he's kept in his wallet for years, and the image has never been tarnished by the blood, sweat, and tears. And to him, it appears that the moon is still over his shoulder. Believe it or not, that came from uh, an Ann Tyler book. The initial idea. There's a, book, a novel called a Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant. There's a passage in that book where this person is, is remembering somebody that they went to high school with. And there's a line in there or a paragraph that says something to the effect that, you know, that person is stuck in their memory and that, that you know, that, that, that girl would always be that girl in high school. Something about that just kind of struck me as like, you know, having somebody sort of fixed in your mind permanently in a place, no matter how much time has gone by. And then the other element that came into it was I had a uh, picture in my a wallet, you know, of my uh, first wife. Even though we'd been separated for a long time and she'd remarried, uh, I didn't throw it out. Not for not because of sentimental reasons. It just it just felt funny to me to throw it out. So anyway, that that also came into you know had that picture in the wallet. And then I just you know. Kind of let the muse take me where it wants to go. I always tell songwriters, you know, that your only real compass is your gut feelings. You know, and uh, I always say, don't don't disagree with them. Hmm. This is probably a difficult question. Who has done the best job of interpreting a Hugh Prestwood song? Well, overall, I say Michael Johnson. He did a lot of them. Yeah, he did a lot of them. He did them good too. He, to me, was like uh, Jimmy Webb had Glenn Campbell and, and I had Michael Johnson. He, he just, and then the second after that was Colin Ray. Colin Ray recorded about five or six of my songs. And he also is a great interpreter of songs. You know, it's, it's nothing more exciting than to hear your song recorded even better than you thought it could be. And, and that's, that doesn't happen all the time, but that's certainly a, a thrill. And that's, that's when, to me, the artist and the producer bring as much or more to the table as you did, you know, with your song. And then, of course, you know, I have individual little things like Trisha Yearwood's version of the song Members Win is just like, oh, my God, you know. And same with Alison Krauss doing Ghost in This House. Shenandoah did a fabulous version of it, too. Most of the time, uh, I find that the singers, if, if they really like the song or the producer really likes the song they won't screw around with it too much they'll try to do it like you did it you know more or less every now and then you get somebody who really screws it up but not very often <laughs> hmm. there's a lot of a lot of songwriters when they're asked about their favorite song inevitably they say they're like my children i couldn't decide so mm -hmm. i would ask you in this way if you had to pick one of your songs to represent you, and you could only pick one, which one would it be? You know, it, it's a toss-up between three songs, Ghost in This House, Song Members Went, and Michael Johnson's version of That's That. I absolutely love Michael's version of That's That. To me, I often think if I had to play one song for somebody to impress them the most, you know, uh, who not necessarily was in the country or any other... Thing. I would probably play him uh, that great version of that staff that uh, Brent Mayer cut on Michael. When somebody listens to your music, whether it's you performing it, 
at some place like the Bluebird, or somebody's listening to an album, either one of your albums or one that another artist that's covering you, what is it that you want the listener to get from the experience? I just, you know, I want them to be moved, you know. Very early when I started writing songs, every now and then I'd play something and I could tell the listener, you know, it could be just a friend over at their house or whatever, but they, I could tell they were moved by that song, what I had done. And that to me was like, wow, you know, this is such an amazing thing that I can, not only does this move me, you know, but it it's moving other people. And so, I, you know, I just want, I just want them to uh, take that journey with me, come along for this uh, relatively short ride and... Uh, Hopefully, you know, really enjoy it. And, and, and to me, the, the best thing, when I was growing up, and I still am this way, every now and then I hear a song and I just go, I play it several times or a lot of times in a row, you know. And so that's what I'm, you know, I'm hoping that they'll really get moved on and want to listen to it again. What is the best thing about being Hugh Prestwood? Hmm. Well, that's, that's, uh, I should get my wife to answer that <laughs> <laughs> question. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think uh, I, I think I was gift. I, I think I had I was gifted with some real talent as a songwriter. I think you know that's who I am more than anything else. So that's that's probably what I would answer to that question. It's just me as a songwriter. I think I don't have many redeeming qualities other than that. My wife always she says, you know, when she gets down on me, she's unhappy with some something I've done, and every now and then she'll. Hear some of my songs, and she'll think I'm worth the trouble, you know. Hmm. This is very open-ended. For anyone who's listening in, wherever they may be, what would you say to them? Well, you mean songwriters or uh, just anybody? Yeah. Just anybody? Well, I'm a great believer that uh, relationships. You know, having close friends and close family ties are more important than anything else and, have, and, uh, and whether you're going to be happy or not. Uh, so I'm a big believer in, uh, and it shows up in a lot of my songs. I'm a big believer that you have, you have to maintain relationships. You know, in other words, they don't just, you don't, they're like plants. You got to water them. You, know, you got to, you got to nurse them. You got to take care of them. I believe that uh, whether it's, whether it's friends or your wife or your whoever, you got to, another thing that crops up in my song a lot is forgiveness. You got to, you know, you can't, to me, you can't have good friends and good family relationships without having a certain amount of forgiveness. You got to forgive your friends and family for their mistakes now and then, or, you know, regularly. I have a song called uh, One More Chance, and the, the key line is uh, every day they give each other one more chance. And then getting, as far as aspirations go artistically, as I said earlier, you got to follow where your muse wants to take you. And I've had my own experience, and I've seen many other examples of people on the highest level, like in the music business, misleading, not intentionally, but misleading, you know, steering people wrong. That's that, you know, was uh, a, a very unusual song from the field point of view. And uh, several producers that said they liked the song, but they wanted me to change the feel. With Song Remembers When, I got... Two or three, uh, well, two big-time producers asked me to would I consider rewriting the song to make it more radio-friendly, and I and I you know thought, well, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. So I, you know, my feeling is to anybody, particularly in the arts, you know, sort of you got to stick with what you're doing. That's the only way you're going to develop your own voice. The minute you start following what people tell you, I mean, not that you should ignore advice, 
But, uh, you know, I think, you know, you, uh, listen to the advice. If it rings true, then listen and do, you know, follow it. But if it doesn't ring true, don't follow it. I've seen some pretty talented people get messed up by uh, following uh, well-meaning criticism that, that, you know. Oh, another thing I tell uh, aspiring people that really, if, uh, this is to me something very important, is that you need to surround yourself, particularly, you know, your close friends and, and your spouse or your significant other. You need to, they need to be, they need to really affirm what you want to do. You know, it's very critical that you have your your closest people affirm your ambition, whether you want to be a songwriter or a professional bowler or whatever. If you don't have that, you know, particularly if you have the negative thing of that where you, you're with somebody and they don't really believe in what you're doing, to me, you're doomed. You're not going to get anywhere. you got to get rid of that person, you know, or, uh, you know, give up the pursuit of whatever it is you want to do. But being around people that affirm your, uh, you know, beliefs and ambitions is very important. Hmm. My last question. Okay. Who is Hugh Prestwood? Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm a basket of neur neuroses of some kind. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, 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 like I said, I'm a songwriter. I'm basically fairly uh, insecure. I think that, that I think, uh, I always think most great artists are somewhat insecure. They need to question what they're doing and keep thinking, is that good enough? And then I think, you know, I love, I, lo I, I love my family. You know, I'm kind of a loner. My wife and I often think we're like, we're like hermits. You know, we, we don't get out and about that much, although we, we love going on down in Nashville and things like that. But I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a solitary person. I have to say, you've given me a lot to think about. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who wants to check out the website of Hugh Prestwood, just go to www.hughprestwood.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, uh, you know, interview me, uh, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, too. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, talk to you later. All right, take it easy. Bye-bye. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Paul Leslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>